we don't do a lot of anticipatory kind of work, that kind of futurist thinking work in our businesses. So we don't even give ourselves a chance to respond properly. We're always going into crisis mode, let alone being proactive and adapting to the potential changes that are happening out there. The skills and tools that I do work with individuals and teams with help us get into that proactive piece, that being on the front foot is way better than being on the back foot. It just helps to have a little bit more confidence in leading in uncertainty, because that is our default now, is this kind of haze of grayness about what's going on. So when we have some tools like this, it helps us to take a step forward as opposed to just being knocked backwards. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Back for another episode. And today I'm thrilled to have with me Zoe Routh. Zoe, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. It's an absolute pleasure, Tom. Great to be here. So you've got a really interesting background. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background and what you're up to today? (laughs) Well, today is just dawn here in Australia. I arrived in Australia in 1996 and rewinding back to how I got to where I am today. My career started in the outdoors, leading canoe trips at a summer camp in Canada. And during that experience, I fell in love with two things. One, the wilderness. And two, being in the wilderness with other people and figuring out how people tick and how they get along was a passion that sort of folded neatly into having experiences in the outdoors. And so I hopped over the pond and came out to Australia to work for Outward Bound. And Outward Bound is leadership and personal development in the outdoors. And I worked there for nine years. They sponsored my residency. I became a citizen. I met an Aussie guy and Australia became my home. And I've been doing leadership and personal development work ever since then, all this time, in some 35 plus years. Now I do a little bit of wilderness adventure as part of my leadership programs and definitely for myself. And the main focus right now is on leadership development, looking at what is the future of leadership and how we can prepare for what's next. Along the way, I've written a few books. So we're going to talk about all of those, but I have to start with the camping. (laughs) And I live in a part of West Texas called the Hill Country, which is just that hills which is unusual for Texas. And when I was seven and eight, I went to summer camp out here and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I always said I would move to the hill country if I could. And during the pandemic, turned out I could. So I did. I live near a town of 15,000 people, live on a small ranch, look out over a glorious valley and, you know, a town with three stoplights, the full rural experience. But it's, The only reason is because I went to summer camp out here and that memory stayed with me forever. You seem to have also been as moved by that experience and you've incorporated what you taught and what you learned into what you do now. So I was wondering if you could say a few words about that summer camping and leading to Outward Bound and how you can incorporate those principles literally into helping individuals, teams, and corporations in leadership today. I love it. And what an extraordinary experience you had that took a hold of you to lead you to a lifetime ambition to move to a place which can allow for outdoor adventure. And absolutely, that's the exact same thing that happened to me. 
the summer camp where I went to was on a little island on Lake of the Woods. And it was such a fun adventure of being away from home, camping out with other kids and doing all these fantastic activities. It was just a delight and it was a beautiful environment. And so I think the combination of those three things, adventure, other people and beautiful environments was the thing that inspired me. And I actually really struggled at the end of each summer to go back into mainstream life. <laughs> and my parents used to dread when I came back from working at summer camp because I had a really hard time readjusting. It took a while to get back into the routine of going to school, etc. And because I so much loved that lifestyle of being out in the wilderness and having real connections with other humans and having real adventures and just being immersed in a fabulous place. What I've carried with me through those years, because I did work at summer camp for a long time, like nine summers is a long time in camp life. And not only did I lead canoe trips, but I ended up the last two years heading up the out-tripping program. So I did the hiring, the firing, the training of the wilderness canoe trip leaders. And I love that experience too, you know, so helping young professionals get their feet and lead safely and well in the outdoors was something that inspired me as well. All of that led me to figure out how can I do this kind of work full-time year-round? And Australia actually ran programs year-round. And I thought, well, that sounds good to me. Let's go down there and have a have a look-see about all of this. So the principles that I continue to experience and grow with in Australia at Outward Bound and then in subsequent roles that I took on and in my own business was a couple of things. One of the big pieces there is the nature of awe, A-W-A, awe. And when you're in a beautiful place, as you know, because you've experienced this, you have this sense of wonder and amazement. And biologically, neurochemically, what happens is that our prefrontal cortex, our active, conscious, executive brain just goes quiet as we're in this beautiful experience. And when we get into that state where our prefrontal cortex gets dialed down a little bit, it allows us to have a sense of experience of oneness, of connection. It's also where we have new initiatives, new ideas, new creative thoughts. And so it's actually very conducive to creative thinking, to strategic thinking. I like to say that big views give big insights, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> So I think climbing a mountain so you can see horizon actually does wonders for the soul and does wonders for your brain because it can allow us just to be quiet and to experience the interconnectedness we have with all people, all things on this planet and beyond. And in that state, we can actually elevate our leadership consciousness, elevate our leadership purpose and make wise and compassionate decisions. So there is an altruistic outcome, as well as a pragmatic outcome for getting into the outdoors and being in that space where we can just quiet our minds and be able to see things a little bit differently. So that's one of the first components that is important for us to take into our leadership practice. It's just getting out. <laughs> and there's plenty of research around forest bathing about the tonic of the wilderness to calm our jangled nerves that come from being in a city-based very active, screen-based kind of environment. So it's kind of a decompression aspect and mental health aspect to it as well. The other component, I think, which is underrated and undervalued is being in the outdoors with other people creates these shared experiences 
where we can actually get to know each other so much more in a real kind of way. There's real interactions, there's shared laughter, and that kind of humility that we can experience in the face of nature when we are sharing the responsibility of getting ourselves through it safely together creates a human-to-human bond that is very hard to replicate in a boardroom, say, for example. So those principles of getting out, quietening your mind, building real connections, authentic communication, and real interactions are the fundamentals that we can take from those experiences and apply to our team development and our leadership development as we move forward into other places and roles beyond just having fun in the outdoors. So if I could even take the camp experience one step further, last week I interviewed the camp matriarch who's 87. She doesn't run the camp anymore. Her son does, but she and her husband bought it in 1967. They bought it because he was a camper in the 30s. And he said if he ever had the opportunity to buy a camp, he would. And in 1966, he did. And his family has owned it since then. So it's multi-generational, but I never understood what happened to me till you just explained it. That's exactly it. It's that sense of awe. And a river went through the camp with a bluff overlooking one of the sides of the river called Joy Bluff. That's the symbol of the camp I went to. And that's exactly why I'm here. Joy Bluff. So, wow. Well, now I know the answer to that. I'd like to turn now to maybe focus a little bit on your leadership training. Because on your website, you talked about the three categories or classes that I tried to start delineating a little bit earlier, and that's the individual, the team, and the organization. I was wondering if you could say a few words about each of those and how you would help an individual, a team, or indeed an entire organization around leadership. I would be delighted to. One of the things that I believe very strongly that we need to embrace is that perspective is power in leadership. What I mean by that is when we see more, we can lead better. So the fundamental thrust in what I do with individuals, teams, and organizations is helping them to see better, helping to see challenges and opportunities from multiple perspectives, multiple angles, because otherwise we can get very myopic and tunnel visioned in our approach to solving problems or pursuing goals. So perspective is power is the starting point. So how do we get there? With individuals, I like to take on a couple of principles. The first one is to have an explorer mindset. And this applies actually across individual teams and organization. It's fundamental to what we need into leadership of the future. We need to have an explorer mindset. So we were curious, we're open to seeing new things, we're actively looking for new inputs and for difference. So that curiosity mindset is instrumental to all of this. If we don't have that, then we are not going to be able to be self-aware, to be able to learn from others, or even indeed to see challenges and opportunities. So the explorer mindset is first. The second thing is to map. Every good explorer needs some maps, as you know, being an outdoorsy person. And the kind of maps that we use across individual teams and organizations vary a little bit. It always starts with the people-based maps first. So when I'm working with individuals, we do personal maps, and that might be any number of different profiling maps and tools that can give us understanding of who we are, how we like to operate. 
I have a handful of ones that I often turn to. One of them has been around for a long time. It's called DISC, and it's about your behavior preferences in the workplace. And this gives us a very simple people reading tool to help us dig into how we like to operate at work. And people are all different. Some people like a fast pace. Some people like a slow pace. Some people love the people side of things. Other people prefer just focusing on the task. And when you bring all those types of preferences together, it creates a interesting team dynamic that we can leverage and navigate. So personal maps is a starting place. The team maps come next. And that's understanding how when we bring all these wonderful individuals together, how they might combine to create opportunities and also be mindful of the pitfalls of that particular combination of people. So there's a number of different maps I use for that. DISC can actually serve in that context as well. Another one I use is called sociometry, which is a very simple practice for a big word. And it just simply means drawing a diagram of the interactions between the people on your team. Where are the strong connections? Where are the rough patches? Who's out on their own? Who's really tight with whom? And you can do that sort of sociometry mapping between teams as well. And it can be analog. You don't need fancy software, though there's organizations out there that do have fancy software to map out different networks between teams, et cetera, in an organization. And the third type of map that I use for individual teams and organizations are idea maps. And that's how we can map out problems and possibilities. And there's different types of maps we can use for that. One is the problem tree, which looks below the surface of what's happening in the organization so we can get to the root causes of both challenges and opportunities. Another idea map, which is looking at possibilities, is scenario planning. So looking to the future, what's happening out there, what are some possible future environments that we can lean into? That's kind of how I shape the development across individual teams own organizations, the idea of exploring, mapping. And the third concept is about adapting. And adapting means that as we see, as we learn, we also grow and we adapt our style and our approach depending on what we are seeing and learning as a result of our exploring and mapping. And adaptation is well beyond this resilience concept that's been in the news and in our dialogue for the last couple of years. Adaption is about, all right, it's not just about bouncing back, that's resilience. Adapting is about adopting new behaviors, new ideas, new values and beliefs so that we can better meet what's coming for us on the horizon. And it's really important that we practice that because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to shift how we see things and how we do things. So when we get into that cycle of explore, map, adapt, as individuals, teams, and organizations, then we can flex and be responsive and actually ride that wave of change as opposed to getting dumped by it. One of the most prescient comments I ever heard about COVID-19 pandemic was, we had moved from disaster recovery to business resilience to business as usual. And mm. What I heard you just say is, how can you prepare for business as usual? Meaning, whatever you think a black swan event is, it may be here tomorrow. And everyone's going to expect you to do business just like you did business today and just like you did business last week. And it sounds like you have created a set of tools to help companies move towards that type of response that, yes, we're flexible enough to deal with whatever the situation is. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. And I was just talking to a client that I'm working with. And here in Australia, we have a lot of extreme weather events. And in the rural sector, they've just come through a period of lots of flooding. <laughs> it 
tends to go drought, fires, floods, and cycle back. And the challenge in rural environments in particular is that they get caught in this disaster recovery, disaster recovery, this kind of spiral. They don't even get to back to business as usual. It's kind of like you go from one disaster recovering and then into another one. And we want to break that cycle to get up into prevention preparedness, then dealing with the response to a crisis and then recover. So that proactive piece is often what's missing. I think that's true across organizations as a whole, is that we don't do a lot of anticipatory kind of work, that kind of futurist thinking work in our businesses. So we don't even give ourselves a chance to respond properly. We're always going into crisis mode, let alone being proactive and adapting to the potential changes that are happening out there. The skills and tools that I do work with individuals and teams with help us get into that proactive piece that being on the front foot is way better than being on the back foot. It just helps to have a little bit more confidence in leading in uncertainty because that is our default now is this kind of haze of grayness about what's going on. So when we have some tools like this, it helps us to take a step forward as opposed to just being knocked backwards. You mentioned the term root cause analysis, and I have not heard that term utilized around a discussion of leadership or leadership training. Could you explain a little bit more how you would use a root cause analysis to help develop a leadership training program for an organization or a team? Sure. So I'm going to be meeting with a team tomorrow afternoon, say, for example, small organization. There's about 12 of them. There's three leaders and nine workers, and they're presenting challenge or presenting problems. So if you can imagine a tree, that's what I use, a problem tree analysis. The trunk of the tree, as a metaphor, is the visible problem. And the visible problem they're starting with is people feel entitled. <laughs> so we're going to start with that. Okay, all right. Let's have a look at drawing the branches and the leaves of that tree. In terms of that's, Is that the problem that people feel entitled? What are the effects of that? And we're going to have a discussion about getting them to map out what could be the effects of people feel entitled. And it could be things like they leave early before the job is done. And the knock-on effect of that is the clients don't get their work done on time, as an example. So you just trace out all the effects of that presenting problem. Then we go beneath the surface and go, all right, what could be causing that visible problem of people feel entitled? And digging into that a little bit could be, ah, they're younger. So this is like the first initial responses might be, it's the young people. They've never worked in a job before. I'm like, okay, let's start with that one. So they've never worked in a job before. What could be the cause of that? Well, they're, they're young. They've got different expectations coming from school. There's all this media out there sharing what they should expect in a workplace. All they see is what their colleagues are doing, and that's giving them stories about what they can expect in the workplace. So what are some other root causes of people feeling entitled? This is the hard work, right? Because it's not obvious right at the beginning what the root causes are. That's the first one. They're young and they've got all these ideas about it. What else could be the idea about being entitled? Well, maybe they see it's a small organization, so they've got a belief or a value system that everybody should have a fair share of the pie. So that's get listed in the diagram underneath the surface of what could be a possible cause. So once we start looking at values and beliefs, now we're just starting to get at the root cause of what could really be channeling this and also where the opportunities for change are. So we keep unpacking some of those root causes. Then we step back from that and go, all right, what can we do about this? 
above on the trees and branches and leaves side of the problem presentation, if we address any of those effects, it's kind of first aid or dealing with the surface issues. We also want to be looking at the root causes. What can we do down the bottom to help change that? Can we change anything about them being young? No. Can we change anything about their beliefs? Maybe. And that might be about setting expectations during recruitment and induction about what the company is about, what their purpose is, what the expectations are, what the ground rules are in the organization, establishing systems of feedback, establishing systems of recognition, reward, et cetera, that might change the effect going up the tree and into the branches and leaves downstream. Does that make sense, Tom, as I explain it? It makes a lot of sense, and it leads directly into the next area I want to explore to you, which I'm now hearing a conflagration of leadership and culture. And in the United States, the regulators, they have evolved in their thinking to believing that culture in an organization may be the most critical thing. So I wanted to maybe explore with you a little bit about your work around culture, although you just started to to help us understand that with the values mapping, but how you move from the values mapping to a cultural compass and how you can help a company, if they so choose, to actually change their culture. And let's just stick with this generation of new workers and how can a company change or perhaps adapt is a better word to a new workforce when if they don't adapt, they're going to lose out on talent acquisition and talent retention. Yeah. So the starting point is values mapping. And the problem tree is one way to dig into that. There's actually a whole tool that I like to use that's been developed by Complete Coherence, which is a values mapping profiling instrument. And it has a developmental approach. And that's also an approach to my training and leadership development. And developmental models in both leadership, ego, maturity, and values development is based on the idea that as individuals and as cultures and as people, we can grow and expand our sense of self, our sense of complexity, and our ability to navigate that complexity. So as we grow and develop, we can handle more diversity, more complexity, more ambiguity, and we go through definitive stages. And in values mapping, it's the same. There's some core values that we start off as as individuals and groups and collectives of people that are important to us for our survival. So one of the primary ones is belonging. That's one of the first ones. And that's a collection of values and behaviors that we have to make sure that we are safe and included in a group. And we need that absolutely in any culture. The next stage of development is making sure that we have the power to say something, to speak up, to challenge the rules, et cetera. And this is about leaning into our ability to exercise power. That's really important in the healthy development of an individual and also of a group to create that space, that psychological safety for people to speak up, to share their truth, and to exercise influence. And there's a series of values and ego leadership maturity stages that people go through. The values mapping does that. So it showcases what each individual has in terms of their suite of and collection of values and where their center of gravity sits. And so it explains also where their values sit in relation to strategy, to management, to their personal world, et cetera. So it gives insights across a whole bunch of different domains. Collectively, when we put that together, we can see where the team is sitting and we can ask the question, is this going to work for us given our current context? So we might have a center of gravity of values across the team that is very 
rules focused. It's blue in the spiral dynamics model, and it's all about maintaining the rules and compliance and following through. That may work fantastically well in, let's say, a group of lawyers where you absolutely need to follow the letter of the law. That's what you're employed to do. And yet that may not serve us if we're a group of lawyers and we're trying to contend with the changes in our environment like artificial intelligence. How is that going to affect our modus operandi? And so when we're looking at the values mapping, we can say it serves us well in this context. We might need to adopt and change and increase our capacity to respond to complexity by adopting some new ideas and some new ways of doing things that don't throw out the benefits of rules-based law. It incorporates it, but in a new way. So that's how we do values mapping to say, right, what kind of culture do we need to build so that it is fit to serve the context in which we find ourselves? Moving into the culture compass, what happens from that point is, what kind of agreements are we going to make amongst ourselves about what our chosen values are that we're going to put primacy on? Who are the people that we are serving? What is our mission and purpose? What are the results that we expect to deliver for them? And articulate all those really well. And the other key component is what are the behaviors that we are subscribing to and agreeing to as a cohort of people that we think are absolutely acceptable and needed to make sure that this team works effectively? And what are the behaviors that we will not allow in our team dynamics? And we can apply that to our team meetings, to our team agreements, to our feedback mechanisms, to our problem-solving approaches, et cetera. So between those two things, the values mapping and the culture compass, we have a way of doing things that will help advance our, our goals and our mission while keeping the people safe, intact, and productive and healthy and happy at work. And that's really what we want, right? We spend so much time at work. It makes it so important that we feel happy and safe and that we enjoy what we're doing. I was going to ask about your book. I'm going to hold that until I read it and we can do another podcast on it. But <laughs> now that I've introduced that, would you tell the audience your book title and a little bit about it so we can tease my next episode with you? Oh, that would be lovely. Thank you, Tom. Well, my latest book is called The Olympus Project. It's a near future science fiction dystopian book, though my friends, it's not really dystopian. It's set in a climate ravaged near future. And the principle or idea behind it is there's a whole new industry called world designers, and they're building human environments to contend with this new climate change ravaged environment. And they build amazing new places, reinventing cities. And there's a project to tender to build the first community on the moon. And so the group called Gaia Enterprises puts together a gung-ho team of designers and engineers to build this first project. And they have to go through selection, build a prototype, and make it through all of that before they potentially get selected to build on the moon. So that's the fiction narrative story. And behind that is really asking the questions, how might we live? What kind of leadership do we need to contend with this challenging environment that's to come? How can we create environments and systems that support the acceleration of leadership maturity so that we can live well together? And can we overcome some of the challenges that are inherent in, in bringing people together when there are differences, et cetera? How might we overcome those? So that is a little bit about the Olympus Project. It's my fifth book. I have four other leadership books 
ahead of that, which are more conventional nonfiction books. And People Stuff, which is its precursor, run one Australian Business Book of the Year award in 2020. So that's a little bit of about some of my leadership books, Glimpus Project. And this prequel is about to come out in September, and that's called Terra Blanca. So I'm on a little bit of a fiction bent at the moment, which is so much fun. Zoe, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or the topics we've touched upon or your services, where would be the best place or places for them to go? You can find me on my own podcast called the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. Very creative name. You can find me on my website, zoerouth.com. That's Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H, like mouth with an R. And I'm all on all the socials as well. So you can just Google me up and you'll find me all there. I'd love to connect with people. I love hearing people's stories and their insights on leadership. Zoe, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. And I'm greatly looking forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're delightful. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.